On the current issues and the Constitution show, Professor Wilson will encourage you to stay informed and read the U.S. Constitution. The show is intended to shine a light on current issues that impact your daily life. Professor Wilson has twice received the American History Teacher of the Year Award in the state of West Virginia and is the recipient of many honors. He served in the armed forces and is currently a college professor. He is a true patriot who believes the understanding of the Constitution is key to our future and our future freedoms rest with informed youth. Please join us live where you can ask questions or listen on your time. Just follow the show feed to receive the latest shows delivered right to you. Don't miss any of these informative episodes. Are you ready? Take out a copy of the U.S. Constitution, a notepad, and let's get ready to learn. Hi and welcome. My name is Felice Gerwitz and I am the moderator of the current issues in the Constitution. And today with me on the line is Professor Wilson. Even though we did have some techie issues this morning, we were able to get him on the line. So welcome, Woody. Thank you, Felice. As always, glad to be here. Well, I'm sure we have a lot to get started with. So um as usual, we're excited, uh, and so uh, we're letting our live audience know that uh, as you have questions, just go ahead and place them in the question box, and we'll get them on this end, and I'll ask uh, Professor Wilson as we're going, and um, he's going to get us started now, more than likely with a recap of what's been happening. Well, how did you guess that, Felice? I don't know. Like, uh, there's nothing <laughs> happening <laughs> today. Yes, we had a bit of a technology problem, but nothing compared to what's going on with the Affordable Care Act's website. Talk Mm -hmm. about a major malfunction. Um, It is quite appalling. If you want something done with quality, probably the last place you want to go is the federal government. You'll find top quality technology in the United States Air Force, the United States Navy, just about any major corporation in America. Those guys are quality. As I said last week, this story is far from over. As they say in the media, this story has legs. It's running on and on and on. And I think this story, as it's not just the Affordable Care Act, but everything associated with it. It's government itself that we're seeing and studying and thinking about, and millions of Americans finally are tuning in. Um, They're not watching their favorite TV show. They're actually following the news and expressing a great deal of concern over where we're going. And I would say to them, and I would say to you, this is why we want limited government. Government by its nature is inefficient. We don't want inefficiency. We want quality and efficiency. So what do we get, as we see from the Affordable Care Act? And if you follow current events, you see it constantly. We get inefficiency. We get incompetence. And as a result, we get substandard service. What we want is what we see in the free market. We want quality. We want efficiency. In the free market, you have two things that you don't have in government that bring about that quality, that quality product, that quality service. Those two things are incentive and competition. 
By incentive, we mean the ability to do better, the, the ability to expand not only your business but your competencies. It's your ability, if you go to work for Lockheed Corporation, it's your ability to work hard and contribute and prove yourself and move up the ladder. You don't have that in government. Most people, and there are over, well over uh, 3 million government workers now, it was under 3 million before the new administration, uh, but it has increased significantly in the uh, last six years. And what you get, most of the people that go to work for government, some of them can move up the chain and someday become a director or, or assistant secretary or something like that, but most people are pretty much locked in place. And um, like teachers, they are dependent on the government for any salary increase, for retirement, for pensions. And they are treated very, very well on the federal level, uh, much better than they are in states or in uh, teaching, for example, other public service workers. So there's no incentive for them to work hard, to take pride in what they do, to, to go out and get more education, develop their skills, and so on. There's no incentive for them to do that. And so they basically stay where they are as time and technology move on. And the second thing you have in the free market that you don't have in government is competition. Competition, that is the big word. I mean, that competition, if I had to choose a single word that is, uh, that is so important to what America is, a single word that contributed to the greatness that America achieved, I would pick the word competition. In the free market, companies, businesses compete with each other. And there are two things that they have to offer to us, the consumer, to get our dollars. One is an affordable price, a fair price for the product, whether it's an automobile or a T-shirt. And the second thing is quality. We want a T-shirt that lasts. We want an automobile that will go up to 150,000 miles with very little maintenance uh, requirement other than oil and, and lubrication and the other kinds of things. Competition in the free market makes these companies compete uh, not only for price but for quality. Well, you don't have that in government. Government is a monopoly. And what the Affordable Care Act is a step, and the intention here, and nobody has said this, but it is very clear to many of us, the Affordable Care Act is a major step towards a single-payer medical system. That is, there will be no more insurance companies. There will be government insurance the Affordable Care Act, and all hospitals and all doctors will work for the government. Pharmaceuticals and people that do research for new technologies to help us deal with problems will work for the government, and there will be no competition. And as a result, we will have in our medical care system inefficiency, incompetence, substandard service, and I'd like to also throw in the word corruption because we see a lot of that also. Well, as far as this story is going, uh, Republicans are holding fast, um, not hearing much from them now. I think somebody said Republicans are just going to sit down and look out the window and wait for this uh, Affordable Care Act thing to destroy itself and uh, watch it fall apart. 
and then uh, try to pick up the pieces and come up with meaningful health care reform for America. In the last couple of days, uh, Bill Clinton, former president and um, big guru in the uh, Democratic Party, uh, along with several congressional Democrats, have issued an ultimatum to the White House. And they said, we give you until Friday to keep your promises, especially you can keep your health care thing on the Affordable Care Act. Senator Dianne Feinstein from California, long-term senator, uh, liberal, supports abortion, uh, same-sex marriage, environment, uh, overspending, and all those kinds of things. She is suggesting today, legis or yesterday, excuse me, legislation that would allow Americans to keep health care. Now, Bill Clinton and others didn't say what they were going to do. They said the White House has until Friday to keep their promises. I guess they want to hear the president come out and say, okay, uh, we're going to fix this and uh, we're going to talk to all the insurance companies. We're going to see to it that your um, uh, care is reestablished and that sort of thing. I don't know exactly. Uh, how they're going to follow up if the White House doesn't respond. Senator Feinstein, uh, legislation uh, that will require insurance companies to re-enlist the Americans, uh, something around $5 million now that have been cut from their health care. The problem is, not sure Congress can do that. Uh, if we look carefully at the Constitution, I guess in um, – Let's, let's do that very, very quickly. We're not spending enough time in the Constitution. If you would turn to Article 1, Section 8, and we looked at this uh, last year uh, more than once. Um, let's see. In the second clause of Section 8, do you see that, everybody there? To regulate commerce with foreign nations and among the several states. Uh, Congress could claim the power to require. No, they really can't. I mean, they can get involved in um, medical insurance or health care. They can get involved in that because it is interstate. But I'm not sure that they can order a company to extend their services to a particular American or to a particular group of Americans. Now, these insurance companies uh, basically terminated services because the Affordable Care Act required them uh, to give certain services. I mean, funny stories out there, uh, funny and pathetic at the same time, uh, that uh, there was this 82-year-old man that was um, going to have a health care policy that had um, pregnancy benefits. And things of that kind. The Affordable Care Act is just such a mess that it cr creates conundrums like that. So I'm not sure that, once again, that, that leg congressional legislation can force insurance companies to provide service to people that they've already been cut off because of the Affordable Care Act. So you can see what a circus it is there. I mean, it's just a chaotic circus. Um, there are so many problems with this thing and more that are coming. We're also learning that um, the initial cost of this thing was to be a trillion dollars. Now that's been doubled, projected to be $2 trillion. We, have, we didn't know for sure. We suspected, but it is certain now that there are some huge mega tax increases coming in 2014, supposedly four huge tax increases. 
And so, boy, people are just running scared on this thing, and other people are just as mad as they can be. Another thing in regards to this, uh, a new uh, Quinnipiac poll uh, that came out just a day or two ago, 52% of the American people now believe that President Obama is not trustworthy. Uh, apparently they believe that he lied, and it was counted 29 times on record. He said you will be able to keep your health insurance if you like it. And they knew before 2010 that that wasn't true, but he kept saying it anyway. Uh, so apparently people are reacting to that. And then there was a... Um, a blog uh, that went viral, uh, this lady out in California, and this this is huge, and, and this happens in the media. These kinds of stories develop, and this is uh, seems to be a wonderful and believable character. Her name is Edie Littleton Sunby, and she was uh, being treated for a, seven years now with stage four cancer, and they kept it in remission. For seven years, a team of doctors in the hospital that she was using, and then her insurance was cut. So she posted an article, what's called an op-ed editorial, to the Wall Street Journal, and then it went viral on November the 4th, uh, not too long ago, and it's getting wide circulation over the Internet. Uh, talk radio is picking it up. We're even seeing it. I saw one uh, video on Fox News. It's uh, on cable TV. And let me um, uh, read you a quote uh, from Edie Littlefield Sunby. And in her article, she says, Thanks to the law, she means the Affordable Care Act, thanks to the law, I have been forced to give up a world-class health plan. For a cancer payment patient, medical coverage is a matter of life and death. Take away people's ability to control their medical coverage, and they may die. So that is a quote, and this is a story that we're going to see over and over again a year from now in cam the campaigns leading up to November's election in 2014. We're going to hear about Miss Sunby uh, quite often and mm -hmm. what happened to her. Well, now there are 5 million other people out there who have lost their health care insurance. How many of them are dependent upon medical treatment for their very survival? With things okay, like sugar diabetes, things like cancer, and with things like heart disease and many other things that people have to deal with. So we've got a real fiasco. This is... Um, got to be the worst piece of legislation with the worst consequences possibly in American history. Now let's think back um, to when Republicans were trying a few weeks ago, trying very hard to get the Senate and the President to agree to delay the Affordable Care Act for one year while the problems were worked out. And the Senate Democrats and the President would not cooperate. So October 1st, it went into effect. They have signed up uh, less than 50,000 people across America. Five million have lost their insurance. And most people are saying uh, there is no light at the end of the tunnel at this point. So no wonder the president has lost credibility. 
And, of course, you can um, send in your questions anytime you want to on that issue. I'm going to move on until I uh, get questions from you. Also, a story is breaking now on the Internal Revenue News Service. Now, the Internal Revenue Service is one of a few hundred government agencies, about um, 1,200 altogether, government agencies that we've created over the years. They are all bureaucracies. Some of them are huge. The Internal Revenue Service, we call it not so affectionately the IRS. The IRS, we just discovered, last year sent out 1,008 refunds, fraudulent refunds. These are crooks that got people's Social Security numbers and, and filed income tax returns, bogus returns, completely fake. Well, the IRS didn't pick up on that, and they sent out 1,008 refunds in the amount of $4 billion. 343 of those refunds were mailed to a single address in Shanghai, China. Another 665 refunds were sent to an address in Lithuania. Now, wouldn't you think that somebody would notice that 343 refunds are going to the same address and put a stop to it, 665 to Lithuania? Wouldn't you think that they would notice that? And this just reminds me of the fact that the government loses. Ladies and gentlemen, they lose between 25 and $30 billion every year. They don't know where it goes. Programs like this uh, new IRS story, that's where it goes. It simply gets lost. A great deal of corruption, uh, people faking and getting um, disability payments for a lifetime, people lying on unemployment compensation, Social Security sending out checks, monthly checks to 20,000 drug and alcohol abusers, most of whom continue to buy their drugs and alcohol with that money, all kinds of problems like this. This is why, ladies and gentlemen, we need limited government. We need to get out of this mess, this incompetency, this inefficiency, this corruption. We need to get out of it. So, some interesting things are happening, and we'll get into that um, with regards to a, abortion, as a matter of fact, um, in just a few minutes, I hope. Another story that's developing, uh, our Secretary of State, John Kerry, went to Europe and sat down with several members of the European Union, and they were talking with Iran, and they made an agreement uh, with Iran that um, if they would allow total access to all their nuclear facilities – we would lift some of the economic sanctions that have been placed on Iran for the past several years. Now, a sanction is basically when we block the Iranian ability to import certain goods, like medicine, like technology, like machine parts, and those kinds of things. We make it hard on them. We hurt their economy um, in exchange for their cooperation on the world stage. So, the deal was this. They will give us total access to all their nuclear facilities. We lift, we start lifting sanctions. And then the Iranians balked and came back and said, no, <clears throat> 
We do want the sanctions raised, and we will cooperate. We will allow an international team to inspect some of our facilities, but not all. So John Kerry was very happy with that and went running back to Europe and met with the European uh, Union uh, foreign ministers, and France said no. No, it's going to be total or it's going to be nothing. So France blocked it, and the negotiations basically fell apart. The United States is embarrassed. We were all ready and willing to go with with Iran's subterfuge, the partial inspection process. France basically saved the day because that would have resulted in nothing. Um, uh, security and intelligence engineers are telling us now basically that Iran is just months away from having a deployable nuclear weapon. And that's when things will get very, very tense in the Middle East, especially in Israel. So keep an eye on that story as well. Affordable Care Act seems to be dominating the news, but there are other things going on as well. I also have a new um, Pew Research Center. This is my favorite, in my opinion, the most respectable and the most reliable of the polling agencies, and this is November 6, 2013. Now, here's what it, all this fiasco out there over the past several weeks is doing to the President of the United States, Barack Obama. They basically rated him uh, from January to November uh, in terms of health care policy, for example. He, had a 45, he only had a 45% approval. He never did get a 50%. American people have been pretty much opposed to government expanding its power in the healthcare industry all along. But that has dropped to 37%. Only 37% now approve of his healthcare policy. On the economy itself, and you know we're in the worst economic downturn since the Great Depression back in the 1930s. It's going on and on and on. And people are now starting to understand that the policies the so-called stimulus programs that Obama and, the, and his Democratic Congress put in motion, many trillions of dollars, trillion-dollar deficits annually, a huge bump in the national debt. They're finally beginning to understand that. So his approval rating now on the economy is 31%, and that's well below uh, the lowest that George Bush had. And George Bush, of course, was being hammered by the liberal media, every day for eight solid years. And the lowest his rate rating got on the economy was 36%. So people are definitely getting disenfranchised, and Democrats that would like to be reelected are getting very, very nervous. That's why people like Dianne Feinstein of California and several other Democratic uh, senators are coming forth with ideas and legislation, and, and um, some are... Being, beginning to agree with the Republicans that it should be delayed until the problems are worked out or until it can be fixed or reformed, to reform the Reform Act, basically. So 31% on the economy. On immigration policy, this administration has done nothing. His approval rating is 32%. Folks, these are disastrously low numbers. Foreign policy, 34%. 
Overall job approval, however, 41%. And that's well down from his electing. In the election, he carried 51% of the vote. He's down to 41% overall. So some people have particular problems with, like with his health care, his immigration policy. Those are important issues to them, uh, but they're not ready yet to desert the president. So he stays at 41%. And I bet you every single one of those 41% voted for him. And the majority of those are receiving an entitlement from the government. On the threat of terrorism, he did get one positive rating. He got only 51% approval. And I expect a lot of people are thinking back to um, the killing of uh, Osama bin Laden by Navy SEALs. And all that thing occurred, most people do not know this, as the final result and fruition of a program set in motion in 2005 by the Bush administration. Obama continued it and, of course, takes credit uh, for the whole thing. So 51% approval there. So uh, everything is looking bad for the president, and um, keep an eye on this one because it's a big one, and uh, it's not like we said. It's got legs. It's not going to go away. And watch those Democratic congressmen scramble to find a position that they can take might prevent them losing in the next election. And it's almost amusing in a way. Okay, do we have any questions at this point? Hey, Woody, can you hear me? Yeah, I'm, I don't think Woody can not, I him. think it would be a good time to take the commercial break. Okay, we'll do that. The American Government and Elections class is a remarkable look at the workings of the U.S. government, the election process, and how the Constitution sets the stage for the democracy that we enjoy today. This video series contains 32 hours of class recorded with a live audience taught by accredited AP and award-winning professor of American history, Robert Woodrow Wilson. This class is sure to energize your students with a love of learning. The classes are on demand on your time to view from the comfort of your own home. Created specifically for the high school level homeschooler, this AP level class can be enjoyed by students of all ages. Recorded and produced by Media Angels, a name you trust for quality products. Need more information? No problem. Go to MediaAngels.com and visit our class link. or go to AmericanHistoryKidsClass.com and get ready to claim your seat. Hurry, because class is starting. Okay, apparently we have another technology program, so I'm going to go on. Last week we started talking about our first issue. By the way, think about this. Um, the Affordable Care Act, is it now an issue? Obamacare Affordable Care Act, is it now an issue or, or, or is it still a current event? Think about that. Okay, the issue was abortion. We started on last week. Uh, we talked. There are basically two fundamental differences between liberals and conservatives. Fundamental at at the very root, Abor uh, liberals say that a fetus is not a human life, so it does not have separate individual rights. Conservatives say that human life begins at conception. That is a life, and so this is the fundamental disagreement that we see. 
I'm reviewing briefly what we talked about last week from 1973 when Roe versus Wade was handed down by the Supreme Court through 2008, nearly 50 million legal abortions have occurred in the United States. And from the conservative point of view, 50 million human lives have been snuffed out. Let's begin with a discussion of Roe versus Wade. Roe versus Wade, as we know, is, is not when it started. We talked about this last week. Um, British common law permitted abortion uh, before the quickening when the baby fetal movement could be perceived. The spread of the colonies from 1850 uh, all the way 1700s to about 1850, uh, most of the state, all of the states, permitted abortion. It was legal. And then in the 1830s and 40s, you get the Second Great Awakening, a huge electric religious revival spread throughout the Americas. And people uh, basically turned to God and turned back to God. And so one by one, states began to pass laws banning abortion with the realization that God gives life and God takes life away starting with Massachusetts. Now, some, of the, some there were a few that allowed exceptions when a woman's life was in danger. There were no exceptions for any other reason, rape, um, incest, no other reason. And that continues clear up until really about 1960, from 1850 to 1960. 1960s, we're in a liberal period. We get a liberal Supreme Court. Uh, a whole bunch of things coming out of the New Deal are beginning to congeal into a new movement. And this is pushed by several groups, some communist, some socialist, uh, some, in, some uh, women's uh, liberation. Uh, okay, they got the right to vote in 1920, but they still, uh, like Americans of African descent, they were not accepted in the marketplace. So all of these kind of things kind of con congeal uh, and, and come together in the early 1960s. And so right away from 1962 to 1973, when Nixon is president, uh, Kennedy to Nixon, over an 11-year period, 17 states began to amend their laws to allow abortions in cases such as rape, health risk, fetal damage, incest. And four states uh, just basically totally open door. Uh, very liberal states still are Hawaii, New York, Washington, uh, just allowed abortion whenever a woman in, or a woman and her daughter wanted it. Pennsylvania was the only state that did not lift the total ban on procedure. Even uh, Texas, from which Roe versus Wade comes, um, was did not have a total ban on abortion. It was allowed in some cases. So the fateful day comes, January 26, 1973. United States Supreme Court, with a 7-2 vote, legalizes abortion, overturning all state abortion laws. Now, sometimes Supreme Court decisions are very specific to the issue that brought the suit. Sometimes they're generalized. This one was generalized to the whole nation. So any state that uh, had any ban at all on abortion, uh, it, those laws were overturned. The justices ruled that the United States Constitution guarantees women a right to privacy in deciding whether to end a pregnancy. And in the opinion, the opinions that were written on Roe versus Wade, 
one of the justices said that um, a woman's right to privacy is implied in the Bill of Rights, Amendment 1, 3, 4, and 9. Now let's take a look at this. Would you please turn to Amendment 1? Okay, once you find it, read it, looking for privacy or implied privacy. The only thing the only thing that I can figure and I have not read the opinions yet and they are online. If you um if you want to study this case and if the issue import, uh, of, of abortion is important to you whether you're for it or against it and you want this to be a part of your political life, you would be wise to study the case. You go to a website, you have your pencil ready? Oh yes. O-Y-E-Z, O-Y-E-Z, uh, you can go to your search engine and type in O-Y-E-Z, abortion cases. You will get a list with links to 35 abortion cases that we have had since Roe versus Wade. 40, 35 times an abortion case has gone to the United States Supreme Court. But you can go to Roe versus Wade and you can read the ju- justices' opinions. Like I said, I haven't done that yet. I don't know which justice it was that said a right to privacy is implied in the First Amendment. Frankly, I cannot see that right implied in the First Amendment. The only thing I can figure is one of the justices said, well, freedom of religion, freedom of speech means that you have the right to speak and to uh, worship in privacy if you prefer. Although it doesn't say that, you can stretch this thing way out of proportion and make it say that. Now, there are two types, basically two approaches to interpreting the Constitution. One is strict uh, construction, which is when you look at the words of the Constitution and that's what it says is what it means. And the second one is loose construction, which once you look at a word like freedom of speech, and all of a sudden you find the right to privacy in there. You're really stretching it out. All right, a second amendment that they claimed implied privacy, and I believe that it does, is Amendment 3, if you would take a look at that one. All right, so this amendment, uh, I... I think you you can constitutionally imply that privacy in one's home is supported by the Third Amendment by preventing the government uh, from issuing any kind of executive order or legislative decision that would cause an invasion of your home. And then Amendment 4 is a third amendment that was cited. Would you read that one, please?
So if law enforcement wants to invade your person, your house, or your papers, or your effects, they must have a warrant signed by a judge saying specifically what the object of the warrant is. Now take a look at that word's persons. The right of the people to be secure in their persons. Can you get pro-choice? Can you get abortion from that? I think if you are loosely constructing the Constitution, you could do a better job with that, arguing that, than you can with anything in Amendment 1. But what they meant when they wrote this, and, and you know, a lot of times judges go back, at least strict constructionists do, when they, have a, when they have a question, when they're having a hard time making up their minds on a matter, they go back to original intent. What did the founding fathers mean when they wrote this? They go back to that. And we know for certain that James Madison, who wrote with help from uh, other members of Congress at the time, uh, who wrote the um, amendments that are, re are called, referred to as the Bill of Rights, and when he wrote that the people have the right to be secure in their persons, he did not mean abortion. In their persons, that means your coat pocket, that means your billfold, that means that anything that's in your purse, anything that you have on your body is private. Okay, but once again, if you're a liberal, loose constructionist, uh, you could possibly apply that. Then there's Ninth Amendment. If you would take a look at the Ninth Amendment, Okay, it's very simple. Because the Constitution lists in writing specific rights of the people, that doesn't mean that's all the rights that the people have. People have other rights too, logical, God-given, rights that they had had forever in the American colonies, the rights of Englishmen. For example, so this is like Amendment 10, except these are reserved to the people and not to the states. So... <coughs> A lot of rights that you and I have and we enjoy are basically protected under the Ninth Amendment. And basically through uh, history and what you might call common law and common sense, we've established what those rights are. For example, it doesn't say in, uh, anywhere in the Constitution that you can travel all over America without papers if you want to. But we have that right under the Ninth Amendment. It doesn't say you have the right to an education because back then, uh, nobody cared whether you got an education or not. Most people didn't. The Ninth Amendment protects that. About the right to be married, uh, the right to have children, uh, certainly, and, and just all kinds of things that, just about any little thing you can think of uh, that Americans enjoy in terms of the choices uh, that comprise that ball of freedom are protected by the Ninth Amendment. So you can see, uh, you can make a case for three and four and nine, but it's not solid. Uh, in original intent, it's not what they meant. But what they really based Roe versus Wade on was the 14th Amendment. So let's turn to the 14th Amendment, and I'm going to give you a couple of minutes to read this and think about it two or three times. Section one only. 
Okay. Now, if we read down about two-thirds of the way, it says, No state shall make, no state shall. Remember that. No state can do this. No state shall make or enforce any law which shall abridge the privileges or immunities of citizens of the United States, nor shall any state deprive any person of life, liberty, or property without due process of law. I say, think, think of Roe versus Wade. Think of abortion, liberty. Does that sound like, is it akin to choice, pro-choice? So no state can pass a law banning abortion because you are taking away a woman's freedom, a woman's liberty, a woman's choice about what to do with her body. All right, so there is the crux of the matter. This is the main thesis of the seven justices that voted yay on Roe versus Wade. Go back to original intent. They meant political freedom. They meant the right to free speech. They meant the right uh, of the press. Those, those kinds of things. That's what they meant. They did not mean abortion. So if you're a conservative, strict constructionist, you, can't, you find no justification for Roe versus Wade. If you are a liberal, loose constructionist, uh, you can hang your hat on the Third, Fourth, and Ninth Amendments, and the Fourteenth as well. What really disturbs me, um, and I'm not saying anything for or against Roe versus Wade, but what I'm saying is that the issue of abortion, to me, is not a federal case. And when the people, the lawyers from Texas, having lost in a Texas state court, lost in the Texas Supreme Court, when they petitioned the United States Supreme Court to hear this case, the United States Supreme Court should have said, no, sorry, uh, this is not a federal matter. And they should have said, go to the Tenth Amendment. Let's do that. We've been there a few times before. I expect you know it by now. The powers not delegated to the United States by the Constitution nor prohibited by it, the Constitution, to the states are reserved to the states. Abortion is not mentioned in the Constitution. And it could have been. It could have come under the umbrella of uh, life-saving surgeries or something like that. It's not, there's nothing about health care. That's why the Affordable Care Act is unconstitutional to start with, at least if you're a conservative, strict constructionist. It just is unconstitutional. And I listen to people talking today. I mean, I'm an hour, an hour and a half in the news every day, and I don't hear anybody talking about the Tenth Amendment anymore. I don't hear Republicans talking about the Tenth Amendment. I don't hear Tea Partiers or other uh, hard conservative groups talking about the Tenth Amendment. Reserved powers to the state. So apparently there seems to be a consensus in our leaders in Washington, D.C., that the federal government does have a right, does have the power to make decisions like Roe versus Wade and to pass a piece of legislation as atrocious as the Affordable Care Act. And that disturbs me. So Republicans and Democrats are both saying, okay, that's fine. 
the growth of government power is all right. Uh, the movement towards socialism slash communism, that's okay. The government has the power to do that. We've been doing it since 1932 when the New Deal was first put in motion. So that is a real concern. Where is America going? Is it going to a bad place? And if so, how long before it gets there? And my goodness, what happened to the idea, the umbrella principle of the United States Constitution, limited government. All right, so bad news there for all of us who cherish our freedom, our liberty, our choices, and we'd like to pass that on to our children. Now there is some uh, good news for you pro-life people. Uh, we're seeing a very strong shift in Americans' attitudes on abortion. This is a new poll. It's a Gallup poll. Well, it's a new poll that's been out there since 1995. It's what they call a tracking poll, and it's a tracking poll on the issue of abortion. And they basically uh, got people's opinions. Are you simply, very simply, are you pro-life or you consider yourself pro-choice? And they've been asking this question repeatedly and numerous times between 1995 and 2010 when it stopped. Well, back in 1995, 56% of respondents characterized themselves as pro-choice and only 33% pro-life. Folks, that's a 23% difference. That's a huge gulf. And all the people that support abortion were probably um, cheering, cheering them on for that one. But over the next Six or seven years, I'm not sure what happened, but I, I think it would require a little bit of research. I think this partial birth abortion. Okay, friends, it looks like um, Professor Wilson's, uh, we've lost his reception, and we'll just pick up from there. I'm sure he'll recap next week, and then we'll pick up um, with the uh, political climate on um, abortion in regards to partial birth abortion. Um, thanks, everybody, for joining us this week, and I also um, thank you for sticking with us through these techie issues, but at least we could hear him even if he couldn't hear us. All right, until next week, uh, we'll see you then. Thanks so much for joining us for this episode of The Current Issues in the Constitution. If you'd like to join us live, visit our show page on ultimatehomeschoolradionetwork.com. And for more information about Professor Wilson's classes, visit AmericanHistoryKidsClass.com. See you next week.